welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with the A.B. Corcor Foundation for Mental Health. I'm Terry, the creator and co-host of this podcast. I've lived with depression most of my life, and I know how easy it can be to feel all alone in the experience. I'm not alone, and you aren't either. And I'm Dr. Anita Sands, a licensed clinical psychologist and life coach with a number of my own diagnoses, all of which bring a certain amount of anxiety and depression along with them. There is great power in shared experiences. We share our own as we engage in intimate and candid conversations with our weekly guests, exploring different perspectives on and experiences with depression. We keep it real because depression is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. Hello, Anita. Hi, Terry. In last week's episode, number 219, Suicide Prevention, Courageous Conversations, we heard from retired Sergeant Kevin Briggs, who is known as the Guardian of the Golden Gate Bridge. Because of his role in responding to calls that someone was on the bridge with the apparent intention of jumping from it. Today, we hear the story of one man who did jump and lived to tell his powerful and inspiring story. In recent years, and as a result of coordinated efforts and advocacy, a $211 million safety barrier, known officially as the Suicide Deterrent System, is being installed on the Golden Gate Bridge. It is a metal net below the sidewalk that extends 20 feet out from the bridge, along both sides of its 1.7-mile length. Construction began in 2018 and is expected to be completed in 2023. We want to note that when discussing suicide, it is recommended best practice not to mention the method used, and we follow that guideline in our episodes. But this and next week's guest story really can't be told without acknowledging that he is one of the very rare people to have survived a jump from the Golden Gate Bridge. And the reason for interviewing him is not a sensational one, but an inspiring one. Of the roughly 33 people somewhere between 2 and 4%, who have survived that fall, it's widely reported that 19 have stepped forward, all with the same message, that as soon as they let go of the railing, they realized they'd made a mistake. The two survivors we've spoken with both use the term instant regret. Hmm. Decades have passed since Ken Baldwin's attempt. He is now a mental health advocate, and we were able to ask him questions that we just wouldn't pose to someone at a different place in their recovery. We began this interview, which we recorded a couple years ago, focused on the darkest of depression-induced thoughts. But the discussion shifted to what would have prevented Ken's attempt, and his answer may surprise and inspire you. Here now is Ken, giving his voice to depression. So I read something last night that, if you're willing, may change the focus a bit. Awesome. Um, I, I assume you're comfortable telling your story, right? Yeah, I've been doing okay. it ever since, uh, well, okay. when I was in the hospital. I said, I can't hide what I am. I can't hide what I did. So I, I've i been telling the story for 30-some-odd years. Yeah, absolutely. 
You started publicly telling your story from the hospital after your attempt? Well, not publicly, but I started talking to my family. I started okay. telling them, yeah, this is, I tried to kill myself. You know, when I got home, it was in the papers. It was, in, it was on the radio. They don't do that anymore. They don't, uh, they don't mm-hmm. advertise that somebody has jumped from the bridge. But they did at the time, and... You know, all my neighbors knew that I was suicidal, and I went, oh, I guess I'm going to have to live with this, and I I can't hide it. I can't hide who I am. So, yeah, basically, when I got home from the hospital, um, I started talking about it very honestly. I, I, that, was, that was a huge thing is that I talked about it very honestly. So here's what I read last night. It said, I don't think suicidal people get enough credit for not acting on their suicidal thoughts. This post, it was on social media, is for all of you who have survived the urge to end your life, either coming out on the other side or still fighting to stay alive. I notice how when someone has physical illness, such as cancer, and they come out on the other side or even remission, they're able to celebrate surviving. I think all the survivors of being suicidal should too. Congratulations and keep on fighting. I, I I agree completely. I I think it's phenomenal that that people are starting to get that instead of talking about um, well that person's mentally ill. Let's just not talk about it. We're starting to say, hey, there is something wrong here in our perception of a mentally ill person, somebody who wants to kill themselves. There's something wrong there, and I. I I understand celebrating that we're surviving. I do that all the time myself. When there's a survivor of cancer, we go, oh, that's awesome. When there's somebody who didn't kill themselves, we go, oh, that's kind of scary. You thought about it? Mm-hmm. Okay. There's a judgment. Absolutely. And, and we're getting better about that, though. Wonderful. Well, the thing I'd like to focus on, if you're willing, is the thoughts, because I think that if we knew that those thoughts were a symptom of this illness, and, and we'd have to know it at a pretty early stage, because when you're in it, you know, you just believe it. But, you know, if, if other people knew, if it was like, wait, 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 I heard this podcast, read this article, was told by my doctor, those thoughts are a symptom. I would like to do sort of a dive into it and talk about how they start and where they go and, and what happened that switched it from uh I don't know what word to use, a niggling thought to, to, a, to a directive for you. So are you willing to do that? Oh, a, a directive of that I should kill myself? Yeah. You're talking about my own literal thoughts. So just to keep it real, I asked that intimate of a question and we lost our connection. Thankfully, Ken answered when I called back and was willing to continue our discussion. Wow. So thank God you tell your story regularly because this would be just too much for somebody <laughs> new. You would, you would freak out, yes. Okay. All right. Uh, I will try again. I just, I just that know that that's life. That is, I don't know exactly what's <laughs> happening, but I don't care for it. Okay. Huh. Okay. If we could, I want to talk about the thought. Yeah. So you, your earliest memory of those and, and what they were like and what they said, if you can just describe it. I know. I, I think my earliest my earliest memory of the thoughts uh, came just before my first attempt, and um, I, I felt like a failure. I just I was married, and my wife was pregnant, and I felt like I was failing my wife and my my 
future daughter. And so I felt like uh, I didn't have anything else that I could do and that uh, I, had to, I had to die in order for them to be successful. I was holding them back. That was the thought that I remember. And you had not had that in more subtle ways prior? The first time it came to your mind, it was like, you need to die? Yeah, it's, you know, that's what I'm trying to remember. You know, I'm 62 years old, and so this was a long time ago. Okay, um, Wow. I, I really believe that it's, it started when I had responsibilities to somebody else other than myself. I think that scared me quite a bit, and to understand that once I felt like I was a failure, I was a failure to them, that they would be more successful without me. And so I think that's where the, where the root of the, the suicidal ideation came in, yeah. So you survived that attempt, and in the time between that and your second attempt three years later, uh, what happened in terms of your treatment and what happened in terms of those thoughts? I did try and get help. I went to uh, a clinician, and I I went for a while, and I felt like it wasn't helping, and, and this is pretty pretty standard sometimes is people feel like it's not helping so why even try Mm -hmm. and so um that didn't last very long i would say maybe six months and so between that time and the jump um i was kind of trying to handle it on my own uh, I went back to school in between, and I was success- I was successful at school, so the suicidal thoughts really weren't there. The depression wasn't really there because things were going well. Once I got out of school and got another job and felt like I was a failure at my job, I started seeing, I, I, I do remember the thoughts of, of every day waking up and going, oh my God, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. Yeah, I remember just thinking, what do I have to do to get back to bed? Oh, absolutely. Why didn't I die in my sleep? That was that was one of the one of my my biggest things is why couldn't I just die without having to do anything? Right. I I just woke up and every day was black. I woke up and went, ugh. I got to do this again. I got to pretend that I'm a human being again. And and it got exhausting. And then I can understand the depression and and not wanting to get out of bed because it's so exhausting just trying to to handle the things that you need to handle as a human being on a daily basis. So what if someone had been able to say to you, whether that someone was a therapist or a doctor or someone else who has depression, said, oh man, you know, that's not true. Um, There's a way to get out of this. There are many ways to get out of this. I take a pill. I see a therapist. I, whatever works for them. Would you have believed it? Would you have accepted that message and and recognized those thoughts and that dread of life as as a symptom versus a truth. Absolutely. I, I, I still believe to this day that if somebody had come up and said, hey, listen, there is recovery. There is something we can do for you. Let's get you some help. 
I, I would have accepted that. I would have, I would have tried that. You know, I got up every day and I went to work. So I, I wasn't just in bed dreading the next minute, the next minute, the next minute. So, mm-hmm. so I was a functional depression, de- depressive, I guess so you can call it that. I was, I was functioning well. My wife had no idea that I, I was suicidal, even though I'd tried once before. So if somebody had said, we have a fix, let's try this, I would have gone with it. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And see, I think that's, you know, we know the signs of a stroke. And if we saw someone, you know, with the side of their face, you know, slumping and they were unable to smile and repeat a sentence and raise their arms. If we saw someone clutching at their chest and falling out of their chair, we'd guess they were having a heart attack. But since we don't know what the signs of depression are or being yeah. suicidal, we don't do anything because we don't know. But if you said, you know, if we could say, hey, wait, 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 this is dangerous. This can be dangerous. I mean, being suicidal is our stage four. Absolutely. And we would never let someone who we thought had cancer just have cancer. <laughs> just just say, you got to live with it. You know, just get better. Yeah, try a little harder. Yeah, just get better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I agree. I, I do um, a suicide prevention program called QPR. And the major part of it is if you see something, say something. And that's really important. Talk to them about it. Get them some help. And let them know that recovery is possible. That's huge. Is we talk about hopelessness in, in a depressed person, and that's, that's a big deal. And to give them hope that there is something out there more than just every black day. And so that, mm-hmm. that's important. Tell me, and actually this question comes from a, a suicide specialist uh, in town who's a medical doctor, and I asked her what she would want to know. And she said, asked, what could have happened the day of your attempt or in the day or two leading up to it? that would have changed the course of events and ended up with you not attempting? It's really interesting because I was so good at hiding it that nobody ever asked. Nobody ever intervened. And the intervention would have stopped me. I, I, I really do believe that. I, I don't believe that I thought it was inevitable that I was going to die, even though I was, I was taking the actions of that if somebody had intervened and said, "Hey, let's let's get you some help. Let's let's go to the hospital. You look like you're not doing well. Your actions speak that you're depressed slash suicidal." I think I would have walked with them. You know, they take me by the hand and take me to somebody who could help. I was I was pretty uh, malleable at the time. I guess you could say if somebody would have taken control. Uh, I yeah. think they would have. That would have stopped me. Wow, that's really important to hear. because yeah. I think you know there. There's one of the many myths is that once someone sets their mind to it, they can't be stopped. Right. No. And from everything I've heard, including you. Um, <laughs> mm. Absolutely. I just. I think that you know, suicidal people and depressed people aren't the ones fighting to survive a depressed person you know they they sort of just go okay this is who i am and if they're not getting help and if they're not trying to get help and trying to help themselves they're pretty pretty malleable i think and we can help them a lot of uh suicide survivors talk about if only somebody had said something 
if only somebody had said something. And, and this this comes through in quite a few of the survivors that, that I've talked to. And, you know, that's that's important. So it really, you believe it, it could have been that, and I'm going to put in quotes the word simple, because there's nothing simple about having someone notice you and care. But had someone at work on the train, I don't know how you get to work, uh, at home said, hey, that you, wow, that's really good to hear. Yeah. Because that gives us some power, that gives us some, some ability to help somebody who's hurting. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I really do believe that. And what's, what's the downside to intervention? You know, what's the downside mm-hmm. of asking, hey, are you thinking of hurting yourself? Are you thinking of suicide? You, mm-hmm. you know, here's what I've noticed about you in the last two weeks. What's the downside to that? The downside, they'd say, no, I'm just having a bad week. Uh, I'm just having a bad month. Here's what's going on. And you can still talk to them about resources, about, hey, listen, if this lasts any longer, there's no downside to that discussion. It's, it's important that we talk about this. And if you do find out that they are suicidal or very depressed, then you can help them get the help they need. That's why we're talking about this. That is why we're talking about this, right, Anita? Absolutely. I was really struck by the fact that he said that if someone had told him that recovery was possible, he would have tried something else besides suicide. So I really, I really love that he's sort of combating this myth that a suicidal person has made up their mind and, and nothing's going to change it. And in reality, I think probably most people who are feeling suicidal are very ambivalent about it. And they don't want necessarily to even die. They just don't want to keep living like this anymore. And I, I feel like that was, that was my takeaway is that it's never too late. Mm-hmm. It's never too late to try to intervene and, mm-hmm. and change somebody's mind. And we mentioned in the introduction that two people we have spoken to who, who have survived a jump from the Golden Gate Bridge. The other is Kevin Hines, whose story is very widely shared and there have been movies made about it and everything. And he said that he went up there and that if one person had asked him if he was okay, if one person had shown care to him, that he would not have jumped. Um, that didn't happen. Someone asked him to take a picture, and uh, he did not consider that, you know, in his best interest. It was in in theirs. So both of them have said that, and I realize that's only two people, but it's also two out of nineteen in the world. So um, who have come forward with their stories? So it is really powerful testimony to how much and use the word power again. How much power we have to be there for somebody and to help somebody, and it doesn't take as much as maybe we fear. You know, maybe we don't need to have the degrees and everything. Maybe we need mm-hmm. to have caring and empathy and, and the courage, as we mm-hmm. used the word in last week's episode, to say, hey, you know, what are you doing up here? Are you okay? Can I, can I be there for you in any way? Any way. Mm-hmm. Talk to me. One person can make such a difference. I just feel like that's the, such an underlying theme. And, and you're right to use that word power, that we do have the power. We can't empower ourselves to be helpful. And you're right. You don't have to have the degrees. You don't have to even have, you know, specialized training, although sometimes those things can help. Absolutely, they do. It's it's the caring factor. Right. We will hear more from Ken next week 
he will tell us more of the things that he has learned and that he really wants people who are listening to learn, other people who may be struggling with those thoughts or know somebody who is, so that they can better communicate uh, from a from a point of, you don't know because you hear it, but, but from a point of understanding a bit better. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to hear that. We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate and reflect on your own experience with depression, or better understand how to support someone else who is struggling. If this episode has been of comfort or value to you, know that there are hundreds of others like it in our archive, which you can easily find at our website, givingvoicetodepression.com. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up, even if it's hard. If someone else is struggling, take the time to listen. 